Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Joel Prusky, BMO's OIS and cross-currency trader. This episode is titled, It's Finally Over. I'm Ben Reitzes, and you're listening to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading team to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. Joel, it's been longer than usual since I've had you on here. Well, a few gray hairs and a few more wrinkles. Let's I, say. Well, for me, I think, actually. But yeah. And we have the Bank Canada next week. So it, it is uh, they are they are very topical. And we've had a lot of top tier Canadian data in the past few days and weeks. So heading into next week's policy meeting, having just gotten CPI this morning, uh, it's currently Tuesday around lunchtime, uh, and we got the Business Outlook Survey yesterday. Where do you see the bank next week? And then maybe you want to expand on where you see them going for the next few meetings or as far as you want, because I know you have an opinion on everything. Thanks, Ben. And uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Uh, So let's talk about the bank. I mean, I think if you look at I've always been a big believer as, as you got to follow the bank speak. You, you have to listen to the bank. I, I think a lot of people wind up getting themselves in holes by, you know, looking at the data but ignoring what, you know, the central bankers are telling them. And let's say, let's just take the Fed's message of the last two weeks has been very consistent. Uh, rates are high enough for now. I think after the business outlook survey, which I think was not good, uh, growth is zero in this country, basically. And now we finally have inflation starting to trend down. So up until this morning, I would have thought October was a 50-50 proposition. And, you know, lo and behold, we went into CPI priced at 50-50. CPI did well on all metrics, I think, as far as the Bank of Canada is concerned. Uh, It's moving lower. It was lower than expected and it moved, which is good. And we instantly repriced October down about seven basis points or eight basis points. And now we're going in at kind of 507-ish. Uh, which, you know, you could argue how, what percentage is that depends where core. Core has been coming in a little hot lately, a little higher. But if we average a 501, that's six out of 25 basis points. And you can do the math on that. 24%. Uh, oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, I did the math. <laughs> I still think that's high. I, I, I don't know why the Bank of Canada would feel the need to hike rates at this particular meeting. I think uh, the, there's only one reason, and that's to establish his credentials as a bona fide hawk and someone who was going to get the job done no matter what. Although I I just don't see why he would feel the need for that because things are actually starting to go his way. I think if inflation was as expected or slightly higher, it would be a different story. Or if we're sitting here in March and we have trouble getting from four to three or from five to three or whatever that magic number is, maybe then he gets to that point where he says, okay, I, we need a bit more. But that's going to depend on you know, how good growth is, what employment figures look like. And, and, and I mean, anecdotally, and, and I think you are in the same camp, you know, we see housing slowing. We hear stories of that. You know, airfares, which were uh, ridiculously priced uh, only two months ago. I mean, you know, now you can fly to BC for 400 bucks. I mean, 400 bucks, you can fly to Hamilton for $400 a little while ago. 
so I, you know, I do think you're starting to see demand wane. People are starting to view inflation as a tax. And I, I think the one hawkish thing in the BOS survey was the, you know, people still want to get made whole for the one-time increase in prices that happened. So there is going to be a bit of a lag of, hey, wait a minute, where's mine? You know? So, the, so, so that then begs the question. We know the economy is weakening, like zero, zero growth over six months to July. Business outlook survey says it's not getting any better. It's probably actually getting worse. Inflation is coming down, but it's still much too high. And then you have people and and – I mean, I totally get it that want to be paid back or made whole for the for the two years of whatever, four to eight percent inflation. And so they want a, a chunky raise. And I suspect in some cases we will definitely see that, at least to some extent. Can the Bank of Canada afford to back off at all from the hawkish tone and start to open the door to looser policy? Or do they have to maintain the optionality to hike in order to keep the market from pricing in that more one. aggressive rate cuts. That one. Next That's the year. Answer, that one. I, I don't think you'll ever see a dovish hold by the Bank of Canada. I don't think they're capable of it. I don't think any central bank is actually capable of it because they know the signal to a dovish hold is an effective immediate easing over the next 48 hours or, or week. <laughs> well, it is, right? I mean, belly yields would, would instantly rally 35 or 40 basis points. And, you know, I mean, if you really listen to what the Fed has said, which is this, this steeper and cheaper uh, belly-led sell-off is an effective hike. I mean, you can't characterize it as anything other than that. We've had mortgage rates basically across the board go up 50 basis points in the last month. That is, affects so many people. And I, I still think there's a ton of people who are in the middle of negative AMs and don't even understand what they've signed up for. And then their rate's going to reset and their payments are going to be three times what they were. And when that starts to bite, and that that's only just starts to bite, you have a huge percentage of the population that's over-levered, and you are going to see uh, cutting back on all sorts of uh, other things, whether it's going out, shopping, all this other stuff. So I'm going to I'm going to play devil's advocate, even though I don't believe what I'm going to be saying, but that's fine. Only about 35 to 40 percent of households have a mortgage, so 60 percent of the population doesn't. That being said, another it's actually lower lower 30s, not even 35 percent. It's it's 30 to 35 percent have a mortgage. 35 to 40 percent are renters, and the impact on them is incremental. It's kind of slowly but surely. I think that's actually going to play out for probably a number of years as as rents catch up to where prices are or prices come down and the carry cost on all these properties uh, makes a little bit more sense compared to what we've done in Canada for the past 10 years where it's been negative carry and relying on the appreciation of the property to entice buyers. Is the hit going to be enough to, to hammer the economy? I guess the question is, do the non-mortgages yep. or net savers or so you. who calls me... <laughs> Could the, will the savers be happy that they're finally getting 5% in, in a risk-free rate? And is that will that help generate enough income to make up for the, what the loss is on the people who are, or even the young people? Because you're, you're talking about the, that, the young people generation, I assume. Yeah, like I, haven't I, mean, that's, I haven't looked at it that way, but it must be the young people who have mortgages and are over-levered yes. compared to the boomers or, or the people like me. That's That would be the, the bulk of it, yes. But it, I mean, the question, I guess... For you, is like, do you put money in a GIC or are you buying more Jordans? And so, like, for me, that's probably the bigger question for the economy is like, okay, so, well, you do have the hit from the mortgagers. I, I get, like, I agree. The resets are going to be significant. Payments may not double or triple, but they're going to be up substantially in a number of cases for the negative and people a ton, really. And then on top of that, you have rates that we haven't seen for 
over 20 years uh, and, and, and attractive bond yields, attractive GIC rates, and it no longer makes sense to spend all your money. Like when rates were zero, it's like, well, I, I can't get anything for my money anyways. I might as well just keep spending. Like the incentive is to spend your money, all of it, because you get nothing for it if you wait. And the government keeps giving you more. And well, there's that, but I'm not going to go there. Okay. Um, now, instead of spending all your money, maybe you can save a little and look, oh, I get 5%. Like this isn't bad. And that sucks a little bit more out of spending. And uh, I think maybe that's part of also what's good. You get like both dynamics going on where people that aren't necessarily hit hard by the higher rates are attracted by higher rates. And they, you know what? You know what? I don't want to spend as much. I actually want to save because I'm getting something for my savings. And then the people that have to pay those higher rates are like, well, obviously, I need to tighten my belt here to afford these payments. And so like that, I think the both sides of that equation are why we're at kind of zero growth over six months. I mean, because if you just run the numbers on, on, the, on the mortgage resets, it doesn't have to be crushing. Like it actually just isn't. Um, and, and you can go out there and, and run the numbers yourselves. It, it doesn't have to destroy the, in, in aggregate, it doesn't destroy the economy. But you put everything together. And I think that's why we are where we are. That's why consumption growth was quite weak in the second quarter and, and probably continuing to be weak in the third quarter. And I don't see that changing either in, in, in the fourth quarter. And that in turn helps the inflation equation and so on and so forth. And, and that's how I think we get to the, the happy place of, of 2% inflation, maybe. I mean, look, that makes a lot of sense. I, I do think there's also the intergenerational wealth transfer that probably gets accelerated a bit in the sense that, you know, you talk about uh, boomer parents whose house is paid off, who are now earning money, and now their their kid comes to them and said, uh, shoot, dad, you know, I took this mortgage out, I was paying 1200 bucks a month for my condo and now it's like 2200 bucks a month and you know could you help me out a bit so like i think part of that what you paint there helps hasten some of that intergenerational wealth transfer because the kid's not going to get another thousand bucks a month by snapping his fingers or he just stops spending so much on restaurants and air jordans I mean, these are all possibilities. Well, I wouldn't mind the uh, price of Jordan's went down a bit. I could always <laughs> use a couple new pairs. Uh, we could use some disinflation on a whole bunch of things. Or, I mean, outright deflation on a few things wouldn't wouldn't be terrible either. Like like lunch, just way overpriced. Which is now $20 exactly. for a salad. Almost right? everything. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, it looks as though we are at the end. Uh, I think so. I mean, I, I, if, I think if you look at not only what's priced for... October, but we're still up at like almost 518, 520, which is for like January kind of March area, which, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't count the bank out, out, but you know, if all of a sudden inflation starts heading in the right direction and growth remains anemic, why in the world would we be at 80% price of another rate hike? Uh, other than, you know, I guess the US got some uh, strong data today. The difference there is they've priced in cuts much sooner than we do in Canada. And if you look at the Canada versus the US rates, especially in the front end, those COFERs were at minus 35, minus 40. A week ago, they're at minus 13 today. So not only are our administered rates in Canada still expected to be higher than the US in a year's time, which I'm not so sure about, but I mean, we've already had a fairly big move and that should continue. I don't know why just because the US has strong data, we have weak data that we would continue to price in higher chances of rate hikes down the road. So I mean, is, is there like a positioning aspect, a liquidity aspect of this that's keeping that that five eighteen rate? Because I agree, it's 
almost totally insane. Like, it's almost like we're pricing the Bank of Canada to just not pay attention to what's going on. And there's too much fear of the bank. So I think there's two things. I mean, I think, first of all, we have to wait to get through the meeting next week. And we have to wait and see what he says. And like, I think we're going to get a hawkish hold. Yep. The question is how hawkish. And on the hawkometer, if it's, you know, if it's a 10, which is, you know, we're, we're okay now, but we still think there's, the better, there's a better chance we have more to do, well, then we're going to stay up there. If we get the, you know, we're pausing, uh, we're vigilant about going if we need to more, and things are still heading in our direction, maybe you'll take some of that out. But most of that stuff is driven by algos and black boxes who uh, relentlessly, uh, they're trend following systems who relentlessly sell the market based on what's going on in the US. So they are totally oblivious and care not about made in Canadian data. They see is 10 year treasuries uh, getting hit today, our yields going higher Then we should smack the Canadian market, therefore we'll price in more rate hikes. This has been going on now for the better part of a year and a half. And, you know, the market's not deep and liquid like it used to be, and there's no other side. And uh, that's what happens. And, you know, it creates a lot of opportunities at times. You know, the curve gets stretched or Canada, US looks cheap or expensive. I mean, the, the beauty of these black boxes is they're, they're single minded in their purpose, but they're not very smart. So we need to see the US turn to get this kind of normalization in pricing. I think two things make a turn. One is the US starts to show the same kind of turn in the data as Canadian data has. The other is the Bank of Canada comes out with a message that's powerful enough that fast money and real money say, hey, wait a minute, there's good value in receiving the Canadian curve in one year or two year or whatever. We want to do that trade, not against this, not against that, just outright receiving. And then all of a sudden you've got this entire, you know, wall of money that comes in to do that. And, you know, it, it changes the imbalance in the market and the black boxes can do all they want, but the real money will just be there to take it off their hands. That yet the bank's going to have to change their tone for that. I think the, the the surprising nature of the Bank of Canada over the past few years has made people very reluctant to to do anything other than be afraid of them and and fear whichever way is most likely, and and we'll price that side until they fear the other way and they surprise us on the other side, and and one day they just sort of like just kidding. Well, no more hawkishness. And it We're is, done. It's, it's been global. Other I mean, way. Like, yeah. You know, it's not it's not a main Canada thing. I mean, what, what we always were bothered by is, is why up until two weeks ago, would anyone think that Canadian rates would be 50 beeps above U.S. rates in, in nine months or a year's time? I mean, it, it didn't economically in the data, nothing did that way. But that's the that's a, a liquidity pressure valve in Canada. That's just a function of that. And the market's not like it used to be. All right. Yeah. So until banks don't take risks. Traders don't take risks. We're, we're, you know, we're risk movers. We're not risk takers. Okay. And that's a big difference. All right. So it, it does look like it's finally over on, on like the rate hike side at least. But rate cuts aren't coming anytime soon. I think that that's that's probably the message they want to continue to send. What is that? Uh, and, though? Soon is to me that soon is three They don't even want to say that. Three to six I, I months? I, I'm maybe? with you. But I think they don't even they don't even want to have the conversation. Not, right. not something we're discussing at this point in time. Uh, nor should it be. Yeah. But But, you know, if things do turn and growth starts getting even worse and inflation starts moving faster, the market will yeah. get there well, well ahead of them. That's but right. I agree, like for six months, you, there should be not, we shouldn't even consider it. But yeah. that's not gonna stop the market from doing what the market does, which is at some point, if you believe that neutral, and, and again, this goes back to, you know, did the bank over tighten or was 5% the magic perfect number for the next, and it might be, I don't know. I mean, you only know in hindsight, I have given given the data the way it's unfolding and the lags with 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 which policy work. Five is probably going to be on the tight side. Is is my guess? Just 
just simply and, and and I'd go back to when you say the tight side I mean the intent was to get no I know tight so but I so go back to to June July I think the, the last 50 basis points and in my opinion what prompted them to go at the time uh, inflation had been a little bit stronger but it was more that growth was being was just very resilient and consumption was really strong in the first quarter and it was just like all right well clearly nobody cares about these rate hikes we need to do more um, that got revised away a decent amount. And the second quarter was pretty terrible, which we didn't have any insight on at the time. But you're already at the, se- at the end of the second quarter in June, pretty much. And you already had the economy stalling uh, for all intents and purposes. And things have only continued to, to soften since then. And so like th- that last 50 basis points, I mean, hindsight is 2020. And I don't, I don't blame the bank for going, given the, the information they had. But uh, it, it, it may be looked upon as a policy error a few years down the road mm-hmm. in that, like, they, they should have done it. But they, they couldn't have known better. I mean, you can only right. you only do what you can with the data you have. And the data they had, unfortunately, got revised. And that's that's the way life goes sometimes. But to me, the policy error would be to continue to hike. Uh, now again, it would like, be crazy. Like, like at, at this point, you know, you could argue, OK, we wanted to get tight. We got to tight. The tight is doing its work. And okay, maybe we can have a discussion in March that maybe it's time to get conditions back to neutral or closer to neutral. And what, what, what you know, and the question is, what does that really mean? Because I think there's a, a recency bias where people think that rates could get to 2% again. To me, I think two is the new zero. Like if there's a horrendous thing happening, we'll go back to 2%. But 0% was a, it, it was a, it was a crime against finance. It was. And negative rates, I mean, don't get started on what happened in Europe. I think that I think it, it didn't it proved that nothing really helped anything. It didn't really fix structural problems. You know, it made people make stupid decisions on capital. And I, I don't think we're going to go back there again. So to me, zero two is the new zero. So, you know, so how low do we end up going? So I'm, I'm writing about this today for my for my Tuesday weekly. What what are the forwards curves pricing in Canada? It's like the low is 350, 360. That's the low in rates and it doesn't stay there for that long and then it got, climbs back up to four percent yeah i mean the, the climbing back up part is just a mathematical construct of nonsense so i don't but I, let's fine. get to I, I would, let's get to the low that's fine i mean yeah. three and a half is probably not the wrong place i think we're in a world of structurally higher inflation going forward which means structurally higher our star i think the green energy transformation i think french showing all that stuff isn't going to go away so that is ultimately going to be to put at least, I think, pressure on, you know. So I, I agree. All those, I've made all those points. They're all, all my points, I totally agree with them. However, those are secular arguments uh-huh. and there's a cyclical aspect to all this. Okay. So if things get bad enough here, it is not inconceivable that that three and a half percent low point looks pretty cheap. Once they start cutting at all, I feel like that just comes down in an awful hurry. And it will look. It will have a two handle. Maybe it's maybe it's two seventy five or whatever, it be. or it'll be three at the peak. I think, uh, realistically, like. But that, part that's, of that's going to depend, I think, on literally something as simple as the supply and demand for bonds, because that's what we're getting to now. Why is the curve so steep, or why is it re-steeping so much? Why is there no bid for long bonds in America, not in Canada, of course? <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, there there is a lot of financing that needs to get done, and there's only so many buyers and. I think, yeah, I think if the stock market crapped out 20% or 15%, you might see money would be happy leaving equity market and saying, hey, let's take these higher yields. And, you know, maybe in the scenario you just described, that would be happening anyways. Yeah. But right. we globally, at least among the developed world, there is a lot of debt that needs to be rolled over and, and funded. Well, and so, so far, Canada doesn't seem to be having a problem with our lungs 120 through the U.S. today. 
but that that clearly is a uh, Canada specific problem. And that goes to the supply demand thing, right? I mean, yes. it, you know, that's clearly there's clearly way, way, way too much demand and clearly way, way, way not enough supply. And that has broken the market, unfortunately, at least at least for now. At some point, that'll that'll fix itself. But uh, we'll see. We're not not there yet. Um, Staying on that topic to some extent, at least how much higher do 10 year yields have to go? Like what have we seen, I guess, the 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 bulk of the sell off there or is there is there more to go on this this re steepening of the curve and pricing in higher inflation risk premiums and just risk premium in general? Like the the charts, I'm not a chart guy, but the charts say like like I I don't see any real support for U.S. tens before like five it's like mid five thirties I think um, because it just it went straight down from there in 2007 and never came back. Um, so what what are your thoughts? I mean, as you well know, and anyone who's listened to my podcast with you in the past, I've never been a big I would bond call them, bull. I would call them rants. I would yeah. I've never been a bond bull. Uh, I think there's this equally chance for them to get to six as there is to four at the moment. That being said, I think we've probably overshot a bit. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some kind of push down, maybe like a a 30 to 50 basis point rally at some point over the next two to three months. It fishes every, sucks everybody in. And, you know, then I think it goes back to the slight demand. There's too many bonds out there and there is a need for governments all over the world to fund themselves. And as long as that is true everywhere and, you know, they can't fix the budget deficit issues in the U.S. I mean, you know, when when I start seeing that stuff changing, when I start seeing people saying we have overspent our, you know, look, we're starting to crowd out investment. Our, our ability to do the energy transformation is going to be gone because we're we have entitlements that suck up all the budget. So we're, are we going to raise taxes? I don't know. I mean, the U.S., I can't ever see that happening. Canada, I can. I'm sure we're well on our way to 60 percent marginal tax rates. But, you know, so when I start seeing budget discipline, I think it's easier to get constructive on bond yields. And until that point, you know, I'm kind of right here. I'm like, yeah, it'd be fine. To own. I don't. I think if you bought some 10-year bonds and you own them for 10 years, you're going to be okay. If you own them for a year or two, you'll be okay. But I don't think we're going. Like I, again, I mean, if I don't believe that if two percent is the new zero, I don't know how ten-year yields can ever really go below three percent again ever. That's fair. Uh, that 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 I that I believe. I guess yeah. If, if we rally 30, 50 basis points in the next few months, I would I would be concerned unless it's accompanied by seriously weaker U.S. data. Like if if, well, it, if it's not really bad data in the U.S. that drives that, no interest. In, right. But in that, I think space. to me that's the only catalyst, right? I mean, the, you know, you you have commodity maybe's coming off and stocks starting to teeter a bit, and people are like, yeah, no, I'm going to lock in some of these yields. I mean, they've been the, the the pundits on TV have been telling the bond yields have been cheap or, or a bargain for 150 basis points now, and they've been throwing money to TLT like it's no tomorrow. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So okay. Well, yeah, but if I guess that you need that that. U.S. weakness to be a little more consistent for yeah. for that rally to, to to really last, and and then medium term, yeah, I'm with you. I'm like, yeah. rates are clearly higher for a longer period of time unless yeah. something changes in the supply demand dynamic. And we're in a higher. I just think we're in a higher yield rate world. I think the last 15 years were you know uh, uh, abnormal, not normal. The problem is for the life of. The average trader, that is the last 15 years. And, the, you know, I think there's always, like I say, a recency bias in your brain going, well, we could get down there. So when the rally starts, no one cares for the first 30 basis points. And they all pile in after 50. And then they realize, no, wait a minute. Like, Oops, there's, I think, so I think there's a bit of that 
you know, potential going on. Okay, cool. Um, why don't we leave it there then? Since okay. I don't know if you have any trade ideas today. I mean, it's tough. But today, I think the, the good trade ideas have kind of – today was a big day to correct a lot of them, the, the Canada versus U.S. in the front end. The long end is a horse of a different color. Uh, and not really my expertise, but the front end Canada was way too cheap. You know, those things moved like uh, 10 to 12 to 14 or 16 basis points today. I do think, um, you know, receiving any meeting up near 20 is a, is a gift here, whether that's, uh, it would have to be Jan, March, April kind of thing. Because, I, you know, I kind of believe like you that we're just starting this slowdown and rollover. Uh, yeah, I could be totally wrong. This might be a soft patch, and we could be. That's a long you know, soft patch. But but maybe that, that, we're that at the would end be of like it. a nine month soft patch. But we don't know. I mean, we just we just That's said fair. that we didn't know, but the data was revised down until it, was, it happened. So who knows? Maybe we're wrong. But I mean, based on again, it's a limited world myopic view. You know, Toronto restaurants aren't busy anymore. House prices don't have twenty bidders; they have one if they're lucky. Uh, you know, like so. Again, and that's just Toronto, and I don't speak for the whole country, um, but it does feel to me like things are slowing down because people have less money to spend, and whether that's because they're saving more, as you say, or because their cost of living's gone up. And you know <laughs> what? It was a hot girl summer, and everyone loved it, and it was great. And just like outside, it's cold and crummy, and uh, that's the state of you know the bank accounts as well. Winter is coming. <laughs> Winter is coming. From more than one perspective. All right, Joel, thanks. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today, and I will have you sooner rather than, than later. I hope I have more to say next time, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.